And so tonight, we're going to continue looking at the birth of Jesus from a different angle, thinking about Jesus as the light, the light of the world. So John chapter 1 is where we are, beginning in verse 4. I'll read the text for us, John 1, 4, and I'll read through verse 13. This is God's word for you tonight, so listen to it, give it your attention, and uh, let's hear from God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand this part of his word rightly. Please join me. Our Father, tonight we come before you again, and Lord, we want to believe these things at least most of us probably do. We want to submit our lives to the authority of your word, and yet we find ourselves struggling to do that so often. And Father, tonight, if we are here and we're struggling with rebellion, if we're struggling with anxiety, if we're struggling with doubt, if we're struggling with guilt, Father, we pray that you would come and meet us and help us. Tonight, Father, if some some are here that perhaps don't believe that this is your word, that don't follow Jesus as their Lord, but are merely curious, or maybe they got dragged here tonight and are wondering, what in the world am I doing back in a church? Father, I pray that you would speak to them tonight through these words as well. And Father, no matter where we come from spiritually or psychologically or emotionally tonight, remind us, we ask, that really we're all the same. We're all people made in your image, and therefore we all have worth and value. And yet we're also all twisted and broken by our own messiness, our own rebellion against you. We are both glorious and beautiful and at the same time ugly and messy. And Lord, we know that you know that about us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And we ask that you would remind us tonight that you in Jesus have come to meet us in all of our brokenness and all of our ugliness and all of our mess. You shone the light into the darkness that is our lives and the darkness has not overcome it. God, will you help us tonight to believe that those things are true? Will you work change in our hearts tonight as we reflect upon these words? And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. In uh, Tolkien's famous books, The Lord of the Rings, it's been a few weeks since I've used Lord of the Rings. Um, In uh, Frodo and Sam and the Hobbit's journey into Mordor to get rid of the ring, by throwing it into Mount Doom, they come through many famous enchanted lands, and one of those is the Elf Kingdom of Lothlorien, and there they meet the Elf Queen Galadriel. And Galadriel is this beautiful, radiant, shining elf. And right before Frodo and Sam and the companions of theirs leave to go on into Mordor, where the shadows and the darkness lie, Galadriel gives to Sam and to Frodo a a vial a vial full of light. And she says to them, I want to get this exactly right, may it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out. And if you know the story well, you'll know that later on in the story, 
when Frodo is in a very, very bad place, making his way into the land of Mordor in the lair of Shiloh, the huge spider monster. He uses the vial of light that Galadriel gave him in order to wield her, to to fend her off for a time, the monster, and make his escape. May it be a light to you in dark places, she says to the hobbits, when all other lights go out. This part of God's word in the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, born of Mary about 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem, is the light of the world. He is the light that overwhelms and overpowers the darkness of this broken, fallen place that we live in. He is the light that will never go out, even in our darkest moments. That is, that is one of the main metaphors, one of the main images that John, in this story of Jesus' life, in this gospel, uses to describe Jesus' person and Jesus' work. We see it right here in the verses that I just read for us. Beginning in verse 4, John begins to make use of this image of light. He uses the word again and again and again. He tells us that Jesus is, Jesus is the God who lights up the world. He lights up our lives. He rids our lives of darkness. And so tonight I want to take a few minutes and think about these verses with you as we consider the Christmas season and why Jesus was born after all. And as we look at these verses together, I want to just separate them or split them into three different parts, three different points for you, hopefully that you'll be able to remember. The first one is that the light was revealed. The second is that the light was rejected. And then thirdly, the light was received. Okay, so that's what John is trying to communicate to us. The light was revealed, it was rejected, and it was received. Okay, that's where we're headed. So let's go. John 1, verse 4, first, the light was revealed. This is an amazing verse. I could spend probably 10 sermons on this verse alone, although I will refrain. In him, Jesus, the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, have you ever been in a place that is that is utterly dark. I remember when I was a kid, my parents took me to vacation in New Mexico. I don't know why we went there, by the way. It's not a great place to vacation. Sorry for all you New Mexicans. But uh, we did go to Carlsbad Caverns. And Carlsbad Caverns was cool. It redeemed New Mexico to some extent. And uh, if you go down into Carlsbad Caverns, um, it is, well, it's a cavern. So it's cavernous, which I guess most caverns are. And it was pitch dark. And one thing, I don't know if they still do this, but they did this when I was a young boy and I was there with my brothers, is that they take you down there and you're sort of on this bridge underneath, over this huge, you know, cavern that's just blackness below you. And they have, you know, lights up on the, in the structure that they built down there. But just for a moment, he turned all the lights out and he left the lights out for a couple of minutes. And I remember looking, putting my hand right here. And not being able to see even the faintest resemblance of my hand right in front of my face. I mean, it was pitch black, completely dark. And then he shot the lights back on. And I saw again that my dad hadn't fallen into the crevice while the lights were out. And everything was going to be okay. That's that's really exactly the image that God in his word wants you to have in your minds when you think about why Jesus came. Jesus is Jesus is the light that shines brightly in the darkest, 
darkness. That's what the text says here again and again and again. You know, light is a light is a major image, a major metaphor, and basically every world religion, every philosophy of thought. And Christianity is no different. It uses the ideas of light and darkness all the time. And if you read through the Bible, you'll see that light means many different things. You know, a Jewish person reading this gospel in 90 AD, when they read about light, their minds might have gone immediately to Genesis 1. That's the first thing God creates. He says, let there be light. And boom, out of nothing, there's light. Light in the Psalms and in the wisdom literature often is an image that means wisdom and insight and knowledge. Light is often something that's intended to communicate to us God's glory and God's radiance. Light often also means uh, safety and quiet and peace. Like the psalmist in Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light, right? And my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I have nothing to fear because God is my light. Light means all of those things. And then in the New Testament, in John's first letter, 1 John, he says that God is light in 1 John 1, 5. And so we see that when we see this word light and think about this image of light and darkness, what we really get here is that light represents God in all of his fullness, in all of his glory, in all of his mercy coming to us, entering into our world, entering into our story. And shining. That happened, we read here, in the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. The light was revealed. The true revelation of light in Jesus, think about this with me for just a minute. It it means that Jesus gives us all of those things that light represents and symbolizes in the scriptures. How many of you here tonight feel confused? about some issue that you're facing in life? How many of you don't know the right answer for a problem that's come up? Jesus is the light for you. He is your wisdom and your insight. How many of you feel feel hopeless? You know, so many of us, honestly, in the Christmas season, don't feel joyful and cheerful. We feel lonely. We feel depressed. We feel hopeless. You see, the Bible speaks deep into your heart here by telling you that Jesus shines a light of hope into your hopelessness, into your despair. How many of you here feel, feel just apathetic? Like nothing really matters that much. You just want to sit on the couch, have a beer and watch football. Or you just want to play on your iPad and download a few more apps. You don't want to worry about the problems that you're facing in life. You just want them all to go away. Jesus is the light. He is the light of newness, the light of peace, the light of freedom that shines into the hearts of those who are struggling with apathy and carelessness. And if this is all worth it at all, the light has been revealed in him. Secondly, though, we see that the light was rejected. Look with me back in the text. Verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone. He was coming into the world. That's Jesus. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet he still came into the world. And yet the world, what? It did not know him. And then John elaborates on that in verse 11. He came to his own, his own brothers and sisters, the family of Abraham, to his own people. And they did not receive him. The light was, the light was rejected. And I want you to see here that it's not just that 
It's not just that they missed Jesus unintentionally. It's not just that they sort of passed around uh, their vision and skipped over Jesus. No, they intentionally reject the light. As Paul says elsewhere in Romans 1, they, they suppress what is true, what Jesus comes for in unrighteousness. They, they prefer the darkness to the light. That's what happened when Jesus came. Now go back to the Carlsbad Caverns experience that I had. And imagine that the lights poof, go out, pitch black again. And imagine me looking up to my dad. Well, not looking up to him, right? But dad, <laughs> if you're there, I want you to know that I really like it here. In fact, y'all just go on without me. I'm going to hang out down here in the dark by myself on this platform that might or might not be stable. And you just go on and have fun and continue your vacation. But the darkness is really, really, it's really appealing. This is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. How, how ridiculous is that? How crazy is that to intentionally reject, shun, turn from the piercing light that brings truth, that brings beauty, that brings hope, that brings peace. That's exactly what John says people did to Jesus. And get this, it was the people that of all people should have seen him the most. He says it was his own people, the people of Israel, those who had the scriptures, it was the professional theologians. It was the church-going people. It was the religious conservatives. It was those who knew their Bible front to back. Those are the people that when he came, they said, we want no part. Let that be a lesson to us, just as an aside. Sometimes you can get really, really close to Jesus and never really experience him. It's like being near a swimming pool and getting splashed. You're wet. You might need to change clothes when you leave the pool party, but you never actually swam. You didn't get in the water. Oftentimes, those who are the nearest to Jesus in their religiosity and in their, in their values and in their pretended knowledge about the scriptures and in their theological pedigree are those that are actually farthest from that's exactly what we see here. They rejected the light. They turned away from him. Now, a fair question to ask at this point is, why in the world would people do that? Why did the Jews reject Jesus? Why did his own country, his own city, his own family reject him? Why do we reject him? Why do we so often in our lives prefer the darkness to the light? Well, there's so many reasons why. You probably can think of many in your own heart. But what I thought of this week is I thought about why we so often reject the light for darkness is this. Oftentimes it seems that we reject the light because the light is going to reveal things about us that we do not want people. We, re we reject the light because, because the light is going to expose us. The light is going to make us vulnerable. The light is going to shine in those deep, dark crevices of our heart where we allow no one else, in the secret parts of our life that we keep hidden away, not even our spouse, not even our children, not even our parents, not even our closest friends know about these things. That is the place where the light pierces most deeply. And when we hear that, we get scared. When we hear that, we get worried. When we hear that, we want to run and say, you know what, I like my darkness. Just fine. Thank you. 
Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who was the originator of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries, once wrote a letter. This might be apocryphal. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it's a great illustration, so I'm going to use it. Um, It's said that he once wrote a letter to 10 of the wealthiest people he knew, you know, pillars of the community in Britain in the 19th century. And he wrote just this on the letter, fly, all is revealed. And within 48 hours, seven of them had left the country. People do not want the light to expose them. But that's, that's actually exactly what it does. And really, that's the only way back to health. It's the only way back to hope. It's the only way to deal with the ugliness and the messiness of our darkness. But so often we reject it because we prefer to crouch in a dark corner rather than have to stand before the sun of light. Blaise Pascal is a famous French philosopher who wrote meditations or pensées is what it's called. And one of his meditations, he talks about, well, here's exactly what he says. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And part of what he means by that is that we're terrified of the idea of just being alone and still with who we are. And having to just live with ourselves. And not put up any fakes, not put up any facades, not wear any masks, but just be. Why do you think you can't stay off your phone for more than 35 seconds? It's because the thought of just being alone with your thoughts and your feelings is something you want no part of. It's mortifying. And yet that's exactly what Jesus calls his followers to. To open up and to expose the full darkness of their hearts so that the light can shine in them all the more brightly. The light was revealed in Jesus. It's glorious. It's radiant. It's beautiful and true. And yet the light is rejected by us. We've seen why we do that. And there's all sorts of ways that we practically reject the light. You know, we reject the light all the time on an intellectual level. We don't, as many theologians have said, we don't think God's thoughts after him. And there's nothing in our culture that illustrates this better than just the very common and popular idea that this world merely came to be by chance out of the raw physical materials that just sort of appeared out of nowhere. That's something many of us hold to, many people believe, many people cling to, and yet it's completely irrational. It makes no logical sense. You can't make heads or tails of it. That's a great example of how we, how we intellectually reject the light and prefer the darkness. I mean, think about it this way. Think about you, you're taking like a, you're taking a hike, and you're, you're hiking through like some remote part of, uh, of Alaska. It's safe. You're, you'll be fine. But you're, you're, you're out in the distant country where you don't think people have walked for, you know, hundreds of years. And then all of a sudden, as you're walking down sort of the rocky path, you come across a brand new iPad. And, and you stop and you look down. And you, this is cool. This is an iPad. It doesn't have a passcode on it. I can check this out. It's got some cool stuff on it. It's an iPad. And then you draw this conclusion. You know, it just seems that this iPad... Over billions of years and through the random forces and energies and gravities and powers and inertia and matter, it just sort of appeared here in the middle of nowhere. It even has the little apple on the back. And it's got some person's name engraved on it. It just showed up. That's about as logical as thinking that this universe, which is infinitely more complex than an iPad, just randomly appeared. That's just one example of how we reject the light for the darkness in our heads. But we also reject the light for the darkness in our hearts. We not only intellectually prefer the darkness to the light, but we morally 
so often prefer the darkness to the light. You and I do that every day. I mean, why do we continue to do things, the consequences of which we know are going to be devastating for us? Why do you men continue to look at women with lustful intent, whether it's online or in person, knowing as you do it that this is wrecking my marriage, this is turning and twisting my heart? Why do you continue to gossip and lie about people behind their backs, knowing the whole time that all that is doing is severing relationship? Why do we do any number of ridiculous, stupid things that we do rebellious patterns of behavior when we've seen in our own lives time and time again that they have nothing but negative consequences. We do it because so often we prefer the light or the darkness to the light. You see, the light has been revealed and yet the light has been rejected. It's been rejected by the people of Jesus's day and all of us at birth until the time we meet Jesus deep in our hearts reject the light as well. But the good news of this story is that the light was also received. Many rejected him, but some received him. And we see that there in verse 12. But, that's a great, a great word, a great transition. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So some didn't reject the light, some received it. And w- real quickly, I, I, you've got to get this here. Oops. You've got to get this. The way that people receive the light is by doing what? Believing. You see it there? To all who received him, who believed. That clause is telling us what it means to receive Jesus, which is the previous verb in verse 12. Listen, the people that receive Jesus don't receive Jesus because they're more spiritual or more thoughtful or more religious or more deserving. Jesus does not come to people and get rejected by people based on people's performance. Jesus comes to people based on people's simple reception and accepting of him. There is no meritocracy in the kingdom of God that we see here. The difference between in the, being in the light and being in the darkness is not a matter of moral or spiritual performance. It's a matter of belief. And Jesus says that all who believe him receive him. Now, what do you have to believe about Jesus? Well, the text says that all who believed in his name, that's a shorthand way that the Bible uses for saying this. If you believe that Jesus first is who he says he is, that he is the word of God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, before Abraham was, he he is. He is God with all of God's attributes, with all of God's power in human flesh. If you believe that about Jesus... You receive him. So you believe that he is who he says he is, and you also believe that he did what he came to do. What does it mean to believe in his name? You believe he is who he says he is. You believe that he did what he came to do. What did he come to do? He came to live with you, as we talked about last week. He came to bear your burdens, to experience fully what it's like to be a human and yet to never sin. And because Jesus never sinned, Jesus didn't deserve to die. Because the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, are death. Jesus is the only human who's ever lived that did not deserve death because Jesus is the only human who ever lived who didn't sin. And yet Jesus did die. Jesus died for you. Jesus, in his death, pays the penalty that you should have paid to God because of your sin. And Jesus did that not because you did something really, really nice to him and he felt he owed you one. Jesus did it simply and solely by his grace. 
Jesus doesn't show you in his death and resurrection how much he loves you because you've loved him just a little bit or maybe even a lot. Jesus shows you in his death and resurrection how much he loves you even though you hate him. Even though you reject him for the darkness, you'd rather stay in the dark Carlsbad caverns than have the lights come on. And yet, for people like that, for people like you and for people like me, Jesus came to die. God entered into our world, suffered as we suffered, and then died for us. But God raised him from the dead, proving that his death is a sufficient payment for all of your sin. And so to believe in the name of Jesus means that you know and trust. You give mental assent and you give your heart over to the idea that Jesus is who he says he is. He is God incarnate and Jesus did what he came to do. He died for your sin. And he's been raised from the dead, never to die again, for death has been conquered in him. Hallelujah. He is the king who was crucified, the savior, God incarnate. If you merely trust that that is true, receive his life. If you merely rest in him instead of in yourself, if you trust Jesus and all he did for you instead of trying to trust in what you can do for God, if you will fall into the arms of his grace as he freely offers himself to you in the gospel, then Jesus will save you. He will turn the lights on in your life and you will never go back to the darkness now and into eternity. And the result of all that is that you become a part of God's family. See what it says there in verse 12? To all who believed in his name. And notice here, you did about as much in your second birth as you did in your first birth. He gave the right to become children of God. You're utterly passive in that experience. You did nothing except trust. You did nothing except fall into his arms. And when you do that, you become a part of his family. You become one of God's children. And you freely embrace all the benefits that come with being God's. There's a great book by Russell Moore called Adopted for Life. If you are considering adoption ever in your life, even if you're not, you should read that book. It's an excellent book. He opens the book by talking about he and his wife's difficult experience of having multiple miscarriages and eventually deciding to adopt. And they adopted their first boy from Russia. And they traveled to Russia via airplane and, and went through you know, the long rigmarole of getting to the actual orphanage somewhere in the middle of Russia. And they went into this orphanage, which was filled with little Russian orphan boys and girls. And the thing that struck them when they first entered was it was completely and deathly silent. It, it struck them and took them a moment to figure out why. And they eventually realized is that the reason that this room full of toddlers and full of infants is completely silent is because these children have learned, even in their very young age, that when they cry out, no one is going to answer. They've learned that when they scream for help, there's no one there to do. That's exactly the condition that you are in apart from Jesus. That is exactly where you find yourself until he rescues you. Christmas tells you that you have been adopted. You are no longer an orphan. You are a part of God's family. Never again will you cry out and not receive it. Never again will you scream into the night and not have the light shine upon you. The great hymn that we've already sung tonight. Joy to the world says, let every heart 
Prepare him room. Is your heart preparing room to receive the light of the world? Jesus. He has come. He has died and he has risen. He's done all that is needed for you to receive redemption, for you to receive fullness of life, for you to receive receive. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us in the gospel. We thank you that you adopt us into your family. Lord, we were orphans. We were lonely. We were in the darkness, perishing, hopeless, nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, and you came and shone your light into our hearts. You didn't do that because we had earned it. You didn't do that because we were smart. You didn't do that because we were really good little Christians. You did that because you love us. Not because we're lovable, but because you are love. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have gone to the fullest extent possible in Christmas to save your people. You entered into our world. You became a human. You left your infinite glorious throne and slept on a rock and had no place to call home and eventually got crucified on a cross. God, thank you. And we ask that we would be recipients of the light that you freely offer. May we say no to darkness by your grace and open up our hearts so that your light may enter in. Father, we need your help to do that because even when we've experienced life and light, we tend to turn back to the dark way of dark patterns of our past. So help us, we pray, to trust you and to believe. We ask these things in Jesus' name.